You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's up, y'all? You're listening to the My Ignition Podcast. I'm Alex Miller from The Eagle, joined always by Travis Brown. Travis, it's uh, it's 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 almost the end of February, which means you particularly have almost made it through the gauntlet of basketball and baseball. Ba- basketball. Basketball. Uh, yeah. Excuse it's, me. It's you know, I, you we always think that football is the roughest the the busiest time of year but it it's really like right now yeah when no. there's basketball <laughs> and baseball and then we'll have spring football coming up here soon and uh you know softballs go it, it's really busy around uh these parts this time of year it's it's gonna get a little bit worse before it gets better but uh yeah it'll it'll get better and and uh, i think there's some good things to look forward to on the diamonds if you're an a&m fan yeah yeah, um, you know, on the on the bright side for A and M fans, Diamond Sports looking good. We'll get to we'll get to some of the rougher patches of where A and M hoops stands here in a bit, though. But let's focus on baseball because we haven't really gotten to talk a lot about it. Hey, A and M baseball off to an eight and zero start. Um, look, they're first in the nation in team ERA. They're fourth in the country in team batting average. Those figures lead the SEC. Um, but their RPI is only 20 right now because they haven't really played a very strong schedule to this point. Strength of schedule non-conference is 97. Lamar is AM's best win. They got that last night, uh, seven-inning run rule. Um, they're the only team in the top 100 RPI that AM has played. Yeah, and our RPI, it's too way too early in for the season for that for the equation to actually mean anything so i i i wouldn't even be looking at rpi yet i usually actually don't even look at rpi until probably about the first or second week in in the conference slate because so many teams play nobody early in the year um and it's just hard there's not enough data in the equation for it to actually spit out anything meaningful so i mean sure they've they've i mean at at Eight and zero, they're one of the better teams in the country. But yeah, just it's it's hard to to really uh, get much out of RPI this early. Well, hey, we might be learning something about where this A and M baseball team stands over the next week, though, because they're going to go play in Arlington, a three game stretch, and then a road game on a Tuesday night against Texas, which Texas is pretty good right now. But uh, you know, good or bad, that game is always close because it's a rivalry game. So. Here, here's what I want to ask you, Travis. What do we know about this a baseball team right now, and what are you wanting to know more of? I, I think that we know that they are a good hitting team, and they're a deep hitting team. Uh, there's there's that, that one, one through four um, batting order spots in A&M with Gavin Grahovic, the freshman, uh, Jace Laviolette batting two hole, uh, Braden Montgomery, the transfer from Stanford at three, and uh, Hayden Schott from Columbia at four. They have proven to be absolutely formidable. I mean, Jace Laviolette second in the country in home runs uh, with six. Uh, Braden Montgomery is right behind him at seven, at tenth in the conference with three home runs. Um, Gavin Grahovic is batting seven twenty seven with runners in scoring position at at the 
leadoff spot, being able to turn that uh, lineup over. Your nine-hole hitter, uh, Ali uh, Camarillo, for a while, had the best batting average on the team uh, and was doing – he's kind of hit a little bit of a slump uh, the last couple of games. Jay Slavia led is sixth in the nation in, in RBIs with 18. Braden Montgomery, sixth in the conference with 12 RBIs. I mean, that top of the lineup is just something to uh, – some, something to, to, to watch. I mean, even going back to uh, the home run against Lamar last night, Jace LaViolette hits one at 108 miles per hour exit velocity and 52 degrees launch angle. And I looked that up on uh, – I, I know there the wood bats in the MLB, there's metal bats in, in college baseball, but – I uh, the only the, the the most robust data is from the major leagues, and I looked up. You can go on their Statcast uh, website and and punch in at 108 miles per hour and a 52 degree launch angle. What does the hit chart look like for that? There has never been a hit since 2015 when they use this technology. There's never been a hit at 108 miles per hour and 52 degrees, uh, let alone a home run. I mean, honestly, if you think about it. It would probably have to be a home run for it to uh, for it to fall into it because it's it's going to scrape the top of some of these retractable retractable roof stadiums at 52 degrees and 108 miles per hour. It was just wacky the amount of strength that he has. So I, yes, they have they can hit the ball um, and they have depth because Jim Schlossnagel, because of some of these blowouts has been able to put in some of their bench guys, some of their platoon guys. And those guys can hit the ball too. When you look at, uh, Caden Kent and Ryan Targotch are guys who are kind of trading off, uh, Blake Binderup and Ted Burton at first base are guys that are, uh, kind of trading off, uh, some, some at bats. You have Jackson Appel, uh, uh Max Coffer, and uh, Hank Bard. Hank Bard had a huge home run the other day. Yeah, one in a grand and, slam. And Jackson, he had a grand slam. Jackson Appel had a home run against uh, Lamar. It was 445 feet. I and, mean, that was that's got to be on the train tracks, right? That's one of the the, the the farthest this year. And and Max Coffer, while he he never has had the best batting average here, has one of the best on base percentages uh, for for a And I mean, he gets on base and, and creates runs that way. So. You know, you, you look at the last two seasons, A&M had some really good hitters, but they didn't have that depth to where if somebody got hurt or if somebody hit a little bit of a slump, they pretty much had a plug and play to, to throw in there or a guy at least that they had some confidence in uh, that, that could continue to carry the offense. This year, there, there's guys fighting for at-bats, um, especially kind of at the at the, the middle to, to bottom of the order. Uh, and that's that kind of competition just breeds success. Pitching is still the biggest question mark, but this is a pitching staff that has thrown, uh, let's see, uh, that is averaging 2.45 walks per nine innings through eight games. I mean, they set like a walk record for the program last year, just absolutely obliterated it. Um, you have a little bit better pitching numbers over there uh, that you can kind of go through. But while they haven't necessarily faced the strongest of competition yet, the thing that I was looking for is can they throw strikes? Because the ability to throw strikes, not allow free bases in the form of um, hit batters, walks, thing, wild pitches, that um, they've kept those to, to a minimum. Uh, and I think through even the first weekend, they only had five or six walks 
uh, to say. So they're throwing strikes. Now, yeah, are they probably going to allow some more hits, some more runs as the competition gets a little bit stiffer? Sure, but if you give up a home run with no one on, it's one run. If you've walked two batters and all of a sudden that's a three-run home run, that's what gets you. It's not home runs. It's not hits that gets you as pitching in the SEC. It's when you give up home runs and hits after you've given up walks hit batters, things like that, that turn uh, one run into th- to two or three. Which we saw a lot of crooked numbers go up against A&M last year, especially when they got into conference play. I mean, it was there were some high-scoring games uh, throughout, that, throughout that conference stretch last year. Yeah, there was. And there, there's been some high-scoring games for A&M this year uh, in just the, the, the numbers that they've put up uh, and the amount of run rules they've had so far. You know, what have you seen, uh, particularly from Ryan Prager? Because he was a guy that we wanted to know what it was going to be like uh, when he got back into the starting role. And th- through two starts, I mean, he they, they left him. I mean, he almost went seven innings last week, uh, got up into the 80s in his pitch count. Yeah, uh, you know, he missed all of last season with uh, Tommy John. We did I did a little feature on him when they were at um the regional last year in stanford because because of ncaa rules since he's injured and he's out for the season there wasn't a spot on the plane for him so he actually collected his own uh excuse me his own southwest uh points and or american points whatever that was and and got himself out to the regional to be able to watch from the stands which is a unique experience to to kind of have to be a fan and that not even be able to really be in the dugout or anything like that um but he's come back strong he's a really Mentally tough dude. He's a strike thrower. Um, he he hits his spots well, uh, and, and he he hasn't the the moment hasn't been too big for him. I know the moment has been uh, McNeese and Wagner so far, but man, that opening Friday night it was a absolutely packed crowd, electric environment. The first time he's been on a game mound like that in I think he said it was like over six hundred days, and um, he just settled in and threw strikes and and has uh only allowed um, seven hits in those two starts. He was only one hit against McNeese uh, in five innings, and he has 19 strikeouts uh, through that. It, it looks like when you go back to that kind of Rob Childress era where you didn't know exactly how necessarily AM was going to hit every game, but you knew that they were going to have starting pitching. He reminds me of one of those guys. When you go back to the the Brigham, uh, not the Brigham Youngs, the Brigham, Brigham Hills. Brigham Hills. I always <laughs> get that. The Brigham Hills. Uh, I mean, Asa Lacey was a was a, a case of his own. Uh, the uh, um, uh, John Doxakis guys. I mean, he he kind of fits that real true starter mold. And I think for every indication, he's going to be uh, the Friday night guy so far this season. Yeah, you know, it looks like Shane Sadeo's kind of emerged. Uh, as a guy that that could fit into that kind of third guy, they they started Tanner Jones, but they knew he was going to be kind of an opener last week on that Sunday. And mm-hmm. then Chris Cortez has had pretty pretty nice outings in the two midweek games, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and and that's uh, that depth at starting pitching is something that they haven't had in in a long time. It was interesting to see them roll out the first weekend with uh, three lefties. It was uh, Prager and then Lampkin and then Sadeo. Uh, they they moved Tanner Jones, the transfer from Jacksonville State, in there. I think they they really want him to be a weekend rotation guy. He had a a lat cramp is what he called it a couple of weeks before the season started and they kind of eased him into the season. He only pitched 
two innings in that game yeah. just to kind of ease him back in. But I think once like SEC plays gets here, uh, if he's still throwing strikes, he's probably the guy that they want in there. And typically, uh, Jim Schlossnagels like to work uh, lefty righty lefty or righty lefty righty. So you might necessarily see him move into that. Uh, second role. Uh, Justin Lampkin has been pretty good. Um, uh, Shane Sadeo has been really good. I, I think uh, Jim Schlossnagel likes him in that kind of long relief role too when they can. Um, Chris Cortez has has thrown more strikes. You know, he's their the hardest throwing arm they have on that staff. He can, he can touch 98 with his fastball, but he, he has struggled throwing strikes consistently and, and also, you know, hitting his spots, not leaving things out over the middle of the plate, because at this level, 98 and 94 is not that much difference if you're throwing it right over the middle of the plate and the guy is sitting fastball. So he has to hit his spots with those. He's done that for the most part. He, he got into a little bit of trouble against Lamar, uh, started an inning out with two walks, and they ended up scoring on that. But Schlossnagel said the difference between Cortez this year and, and last year is last year's Cortez would have gotten into a little bit of that rut and couldn't have got himself out. And he said he liked how he kind of got himself out. So Cortez is a little bit of a, um, I'm still waiting to get a little bit more data on because of the kind of up and down he had last year. And, and honestly, you know, that Tuesday spot, spot might be perfect for him for some of the season because you continue to roll through the Tuesdays. You, you, you get a lot of reps. If something happens in the starting rotation, you're a natural fit to slot into there. And then once you get into postseason play, whether it be the SEC tournament, a regional as if you're not blowing through a regional or even you want to look all the way down the line to Omaha the the, the teams with the most starting pitching win the deepest starting pitching win A&M swung their way to the College World Series two years ago but they didn't have enough pitching to get all the way to that final um, I think that this is a team that has the pitching depth one of the biggest question marks so far, too, is the fact that what do they really have in the bullpen? And and it's not a question mark because you there there could be a lack there. It's just that the offense has been so good and, and the starting pitching has been so good that there, we haven't seen a lot of the bullpen yet. Yeah, and I mean... Uh- Evan Ashenbeck has come in a few times and he's been pretty solid. They, I mean, I think everyone was expecting that he would pick up where he left off last year, had a really good breakout season uh, a year ago. But yeah, you know, <laughs> that was going to be my next question to you, Travis, is like, you know, there's been limited uh, innings for these relief guys and really not many high pressure situations. I mean, what may, probably the one was the the game they won two zero against Wagner this weekend. Yeah, and uh, they ran uh, Oshenbeck out there for four innings. He actually there's three criteria for a save. It's uh, th- um, three or more innings that you're out there. If uh, the 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 winning run is either on the on deck circle or on or it's within uh, three runs, you know, in the last inning. And he qualified all three of those for that save situation. I, I messed up. I said that was their first save opportunity. They actually had one in the uh, the, the McNeese series, too, on mm. that, that Saturday. But um, he handled that situation well. And that's it, it's not going to be a traditional um, back into the bullpen in some of those situations because if a starter can get – uh, you know, to the seventh inning, and Evan Oshenbeck's available. Jim Schlossnagel's probably going to ride him the last three innings and let him close out the game with how efficient he has been over the last season and, and the start of this one. 
And but but then you have guys like uh, uh, Badniev and Josh Stewart and uh, 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 Peary, the Arizona State transfer, who will kind of make up that back end of the of the bullpen as well. Uh, it was uh, in the game against uh, Lamar, I believe. One of the games this week, they kind of all start to run together. Uh, the, the the opponents did have a bases loaded situation runners in scoring and they ran Badmiev out there to get a batter and then ran Peary out there to get a couple batters to kind of seemingly simulate a ninth inning and eighth inning. Uh, he said that Jim Schlossigl said, you know, nothing is, is, is certain in these games and he wanted to make sure that they got out of that situation, but it, it certainly didn't hurt to throw some of those guys that might be some of the back end of the bullpen guys out there to get some of those pressure innings early in the season and not have to roll into either this weekend or then SEC play, not really have had your bullpen, not really have had any, any high pressure situations. Well, my last thing on baseball, um, I had to follow Hayden shot on Twitter last night because, <laughs> okay, look, if y'all haven't seen Hayden shots, Twitter after games, and, I, and I'm guessing he's probably going to only do this after wins, but, um, his satirical critiques and feedback is, just hilarious i was really big on after jackson appels home run the <laughs> appel bottom jeans yeah. he's going for the nickname that's been the great i mean he's 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 such a great addition um to the team you know you gotta have a guy on the team that is um or guys on the team that are funny and glue guys and you know clubhouse guys whatever you want to call them that that lighten the mood i mean two years ago that was uh nathan detmer and micah dallas uh who were with the pringles cans and doing and doing all the stuff in the dugout that kind of you know uh added some flair to the uh, monotony that is the baseball season at times last year when things got rough yeah they still had nathan detmer but he, he lost his partner in crime and and i think that they kind of were missing that guy that kind of lighten the mood they had a lot of it was very senior heavy um and upperclassmen heavy and and guys that were looking at the draft and so there was a lot of guys who were pushing to try to get that that their draft stock up and i just don't think they had that guy who was just like let's shake things up let's make it loose and he seems to not only be that guy but a guy who can hit i think until uh last night he was he was carrying a seven game hit streak into the game last night he got on uh, via uh, walk, I believe, but didn't get a hit, so his hit streak ended. But um, I mean, he's he's knocked the cover off the ball as well in that uh, four spot and been a, a good guy in the outfield and just been a, a, a glue guy. Yeah. Hey, let's talk a little AM men's hoops real quick before we go. Um, look, AM's got to win. Uh, if, if they want to make the NCAA tournament, they really backed themselves into a corner. Uh, before we got on, I looked it up. They've dropped to 57 in the na- net rankings. They're the first team out in Joe Lenardi's bracketology. Uh, Jerry Palm for CBS, he doesn't even have them like, you know, first four out, next four out, any of that. It, he's like, they're done, not even mentioned. So, you know, AM, they've got winnable games, but it's a matter of can they put it together and, and string together some momentum here these last two weeks of the season? Yeah, AM, the one I like to look at is uh, bracketmatrix.com because they compile like 120 or 102 mm. different brackets and kind of give them a, an average score to, to put them online. This is the first time this season that AM has just completely fallen onto other at larges because they're, they're not on enough of mock. mock bracketology uh, brackets right now um, and, and most of them have them as an 11 seed so they, they I mean 
they got to win games, and that starting tonight against uh, South Carolina is going to be a, a big game. Uh, and then uh, I think the next they got to probably win at Georgia, and the other big game is uh, at Ole Miss to close out the year. That'll be another quad one. The the, the interesting part about I, and we've talked about this a lot, but just to, to recap. A&M has, and I haven't even looked because it today because it, it, it kind of fluctuates uh, uh, depending on teams and how they're ranked in the net. But um, A&M has uh, either five or six quad one wins, but they also have five quadrant three losses. And so, you know that that what that says is A&M is a team when they're playing at their best, they can make it to the elite eight if they made it to the NCAA tournament. But when they're playing kind of like they have been lately, you know they could get beat by a 16 seed uh, or not even make the tournament um, uh, in that. So right now they are uh, six and six in quadrant one, two and four in quadrant three, that Florida game and the old miss game, I believe is the one that's kind of fluctuating between quad one and quad two as those move around. Yeah. I was looking it up. Um, you know, Anum could, Anum can definitely get some help. Uh, they need Memphis and LSU to just, keep winning and try and get those losses to become quad two um, and not stay quad three. They also need Arkansas to stay above the 136 line in the net. I think they're at 127 and uh, keep A&M's road loss right now against Arkansas is considered a quad two, but Arkansas, right. they've got to play. They got to play Kentucky, and they got to play Alabama, and they just lost to Vanderbilt. Right, right. The the ones that are kind of fluctuating right now. Ohio State is at sixty six. That was an away win, so seventy five is the cutoff on away. They be, they, they won to, on a buzzer beater the other night against Michigan State. Right, so that that helps A and M out. Uh, you have SMU at forty three. That was in a way, so that one's solidly locked in uh, right now. And then the Florida is there. They moved up to twenty eight. Uh, that was a home game, and thirty is the cutoff for quad mm. one, quad two. So the more that Florida wins, that helps. Uh, that helps A and M as well, and then uh, that Memphis they're at seventy nine, and the cutoff for home you know there is is. Uh, is 76 so they that, that moves into quadrant two that that kind of helps things out a little bit and makes it look a little bit more uh, uh appealing but um but yeah i mean they they've got to they they the fact of the matter is they have to win and, and, and it, it's not i mean I, I know it's the cliche to talk about the, the players saying you know it's you have to focus on each possession each game but but it is kind of down to that right now because we asked Buzz Williams yesterday a little bit about the way that their offense is running and it, and it certainly looks like the the offense that they're calling is just get the ball to uh, Wade Taylor get the ball to Tyrese Radford and an ISO and just try to let them uh, dribble penetrate and Buzz Williams said yeah but if you look at it you know no one else on the team really is uh, finishing around the rim and that's where they need a team that doesn't shoot well They've got to finish around the rim, and they've got to get fouled at the rim and make their free throws. You know, the one that stood out to me is that the, I looked at CBB Analytics, and uh, Henry Coleman is second on the team in, in uh, field goal attempts at the rim uh, behind Tyrese Radford. It was like, I think he has about 104 attempts this season. He only has 13 in the last five games at the rim. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and then you have a guy like Anderson Garcia, who, don't get me wrong, he's not... 
known for his scoring, but but when when you have to find a situation where someone else needs to produce to open things up for Wade Taylor and Tyrese Radford, he only has seven attempts at the rim in the last seven games. Uh, and, and so Salmon Washington, I believe, had thirteen. Uh, but he, you know, he has to hit it a little bit. They they have to find some other people to uh to be able to get in, get some shots at the rim, and make that because they're they're probably they're not going to win a game off of three pointers, nope. and <laughs> they're uh not going to win a game if the only thing that they have is Tyrese Radford and Wade Taylor trying to dribble penetrate and and get things uh going off off the dribble penetration because that's exactly how they've lost the last four games. You look at uh. Arkansas, excuse me, well, Arkansas, yes, but mostly Alabama and Tennessee, they pressured Wade Taylor and Tyrese Radford really high above the three-point line and made them have to try to dribble penetrate almost from half court all the way in, and a lot of times they were getting stopped at the free-throw line. Uh, And so they need to find some other offensive options um, to to be able to score because it doesn't matter. You can run whatever play that you want and get the ball to Henry Coleman down low, but if he's not making that shot... Or getting to the free throw line and making the free throws, uh, I mean, you might be better off trying to get the ball to Tyrese Radford and have him. It's just, it's kind of a darned if you do, darned if you don't situation. They just have to get more guys who are producing and they have to not let what's happening on the offensive floor dictate their defense because when they started struggling lately on offense, it seems like their energy on defense has, has uh, let up as well. It's going to be a, a, a good test tonight, but I think. That's going to be the keys moving forward is taking a little bit of pressure off of Wade Taylor and Tyrese Radford and some of these other guys picking that up as well. Well, for whatever reason, Hanum plays well at home against good teams, and they're going to have a ranked team coming in tonight. Maybe uh, maybe a little home remedy is just what the doctor ordered. Sure. But, all right. Hey, that's going to do it for us. Be sure to check the Eagle.com to follow all Travis's coverage of Hanum men's hoops and Hanum baseball. He'll be up in Arlington this weekend covering the Aggies as they face Arizona State and USC. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the My Nation Podcast. We'll be back. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way to must have seems. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good loving needs a girl, we know that's true. If we want to keep it, we got to watch everything that we do, yeah, yeah. I want to make sure my baby, make sure you're sticking with me. I want to make sure that we'll be all that we can be, all that we can be, all that we can be.